everybody, and welcome back to Pace the Nation, broadcasting from Studio 1A in Clarendon, Virginia. I'm your host, Chris Farley. Alongside me, as always, to my right is Joanna E. Russo. Joanna, what's up? Chris, I'm really glad that you're sticking to your news resolutions to gamble more. Yes. Yeah, because you really gambled this morning with this time. I did. It's 8 a.m. here on Thursday morning. And uh, we all made it actually on time. Surprisingly enough, uh, we did have a guest, so we needed to make sure we were all prompt and on time. So I applaud all of us on uh, accomplishing that. Also to my left here is William E. Docs. Docs, what's up? Is that what you meant by the gamble is because it was so early? No, because I had to skip my workout to Mm. be here. Oh, Mm. I thought it was because it was early and you weren't sure that. Docs and I, not being early morning guys, would uh, make it. Well, that's also, I guess, part of it. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we, we did have to uh, broadcast or, or record a little earlier today. We wanted to accommodate our guests. We we're excited today to be joined by author Chris Lear. He's the author of Running with the Buffaloes and also Sub 4. He, he also contributes to uh, Runner's World, so it'll be cool to have Chris join us here on today's big show also today we'll get into the tweets of the week an update and the in the news uh segment of the show so that'll be good and i don't know if we wanted to talk about our uh new year's resolutions follow up here we are sitting at uh about halfway through the month on Mm -hmm. january 14th maybe we can update our new year's resolutions how isn't this when people typically bail on their resolutions by now that's about right Two yeah. weeks. Two weeks in. Yeah, I've already bailed on my resolution not to get frustrated with my roommates. So oh, okay, <laughs> that was hopeless. <laughs> yeah, but I would say I, I was actually thinking about this a little bit, and yeah. I was like, you know what? Uh, if they let your dog almost get kidnapped or dog napped, uh, then you should be getting frustrated with them as well about other things. All right, thank you for validating mm-hmm. that. Any other updates, Joanna? Um, well, except for this morning, because we're here, right. um, I have been sticking to my yoga resolution. Good. Um, I haven't gotten sick yet, but we have to wait till March to see if mm-hmm. that really happens. Okay. Um, sign language is going well. I'm learning finger spelling. So okay. I can spell my name in letters. Yeah. You're using, as you talk here, she's using hand gestures and motion. So I can see that's going well. Good. Uh-huh. What does that middle finger mean? <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't mean to. That was the pin sticking up there. Sorry. Um, yeah, so we're doing well in my resolutions, I'd okay. say. Okay. All right. Well, I um, got upset about the Redskins loss, shockingly enough. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I thought I thought our friendship was over. Yeah. Yeah. Joanna <laughs> kind of tweaked me about the... That's a good run you had, though. <laughs> she tweaked me about the Skins game the other day. Uh, as uh, I was at the game, she commented on an Instagram post and said something about the Packers, and I furiously threw my phone on the ground as I saw that. Because uh, she really obviously doesn't understand my passion for the Redskins, but later wrote me a nice apology. So yeah, I, that's I appreciate true. I did. that. So you you did uh, mend um, broken mend, fences, mend the broken fences, and mm-hmm. and saved our friendship. So I appreciate that. But I'm over the Redskins. Was it worth it, Joanna? <laughs> <laughs> I'm over the Redskins. Uh, I am uh, moved on. And um, I'm actually going to the, the to the Washington Capitals game tonight. Very excited to do that. And I won't be upset if they lose because they never lose. And if they lose, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm going to tell myself it's not that big of a deal for uh, This is, I mean, for you, the Capitals is a good team to test that theory. Yes, you've you've never really been much of a hockey fan. You're right. 
And I sorry, never, Ovechkin, yeah, loyal I, listener. I never really uh, root for a winner either. So there's two two things there. But I, no, I am a Caps fan once it comes to the playoffs. So um, I well, you're you're more of a casual Caps fan, but you're a diehard Nats and Redskins fan. True, that's true. So so and and UVA hoops and that's UVA true. football for well, what whatever about the reason. Wizards? The Wizards, I'm a fan of as well. But, uh, but, but he's, not like he's right. diehard. Not okay. Nats, Skins, UVA is is the top three. Those are those are the teams that are just that that are really going to test your your they will. will. They will crush my soul when they lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did uh, not if they lose when they when lose. They lose. <laughs> yeah. I did gamble uh, on the uh, on the, on the Caps to win it all. Uh, Terrific. I also gambled on the. Uh, I think I mentioned that last week. Gambled on the Cavaliers to win it mean, all. Does it mean you gambled again? No, 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 uh, no. Was no. It, well, I mean, yeah. I just these are updates, but these are updating my you know my New Year's resolution to was gamble to, more. To gamble more. Yeah. So I've been doing that. Uh, I've been running more in the morning. Uh, a couple times this week, I ran in the morning. So that's better than than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I obviously, as we sit here at eight a.m., I wasn't going to run in the morning before this. This could have run to the studio. I, I could have. I'll cram it in later today. Uh, so I'm. I feel like I'm. I'm doing pretty well with my my resolutions. Uh, How about you, Docs? Docs, yeah. No, I'm not doing well. No. <laughs> no. Working out a couple times um, a week. My workouts are going well. Good. Okay, that's good. Um, and I've already lost weight for 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, that may have been attributed to having a, a terrible virus for a quarter of the year. Uh, <laughs> but I'll take what I can get. You know, he was deathly ill. Yeah. I did not start a fitness journal. Okay. And uh, I am eating healthier. I could Good. do I could do even healthier. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um but baby steps with that one. Okay. Um that's on the win side. Good. Mm-hmm. I've I've uh, made it out to a, at least a one time a week on a soft surface. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I've I've done that but uh I haven't I haven't checked every box so far. That's pretty good, Docs. I'm in, I I'm impressed. It's still early in the year, too. Well, I I might bail on another one. I, I want your opinion. Okay. Should, should I continue with my no shaving my face in 2016 resolution? I'm not a beard guy. Uh, I know that because you can't the, grow a beard. <laughs> I know that's the end thing, but uh, I would shave. In Joanna, my, in my opinion, I value Joanna's opinion in this more than yeah, yours. That's probably. I don't. I've wrong. never seen you without facial hair. It'll be really weird. Without yeah. facial hair? Yeah. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. As long as I've uh, known you, you've had a beard. But like a small one. At least something. Yeah. So you're talking about growing the grizzly. Well, yeah. I mean, this this is like two and a half months of work. Wow. I mean, it's thick. Uh, yeah. If uh, I have to prove that I can, can that I can grow thick hair. You know. I, I I will say it could increase uh, kind of interest and attendance to our next happy hour, which we'll also talk about later in the the program. Yeah, if, that's if true. If it's an unknown, if it's an unknown, what what Doc's beard is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that yeah, so if it's really? good for the really, show, you think that's gonna <laughs> <laughs> if it's good, if it's good for the show. Maybe I'm grasping. If it's well, good maybe for we the should show, ask our listeners what they think too. Yeah. Tweet us at Pace the Nation. Let us know should Doc stay or go continue on with the beer because if this is two and a half months worth of work, I mean, come spring, come summer, we could be talking mm-hmm. something serious. Mm-hmm. Do you? When you grow that really grizzly thick beard, mm-hmm. do you do some maintenance and shave some, or you just let it go? 
Oh, right now it's just all it's uh, all natural. It's all natural. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to shampoo it and stuff, you know. <laughs> Especially like the more you run Who and then knew? when you when you run in the summer. Yeah. Oh my god, it smells so bad. Really? Oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you had to shampoo your beard. I guess yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I would just think you'd put some Dove soap in there and you'd be fine. But uh I guess uh Probably shampoo. Do you, dove show, do you put Dove soap in your that mop? <laughs> no, I put I put uh, uh, Head and Shoulders in there. Uh-huh. I don't want the flakes. Can you get dandruff in the beard? Probably. I, I wonder. I, I, w- I would guess so. I don't know. Maybe it's from your scalp, and your face isn't going to scalp or flake as much as a beard would. Well, I you also think. think that I'm allergic to cat dandruff, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's cat dandruff. I think it's got dander, I think. Anyways, all right. Uh, we'll stay tuned so, for that. So basically, you said it's good for the yeah. show, and Joanna sidestepped it. Uh, I, think she, I think she said that she didn't know what you'd look like without a beard. I think so. she said she didn't care. Joanna, go on the record. <laughs> no sidestepping. Beard or no beard? Um, I mean, I don't. It's it's a personal decision. Should yeah. I cut my hair short? Told, Does told it really you. affect? No, nah, don't cut your hair short. No. All right. Yeah, well, you guys it. have a pretty strong yeah. opinion about that. I don't have that strong of an opinion about beards. Yeah. All right, that's fair. She doesn't need to take a side. That's fair. I would say that <laughs> you just thirty seconds ago you're like no sidestepping, you know and now you're like, eh, yeah. well, here, here, here's what I would say based on your description of what it's like to have a beard in the summer. I would definitely get rid of it before the summer. Yeah, I think last time I had a long beard was in the summer of 2014, and I, and then I believe I shaved it in July, and okay. it was it was very ill timed. It was ill timed. Yeah. Why? Why? That seems like it would be perfectly. Timed. Oh, the shaving was good, but the having a beard in July in mm. Washington D.C. Right. Yeah, having like an enormous beard in in July in Washington D.C. and trying to get long runs in doesn't right. sound uh, is is miserable. Right. Yeah, I could see that. All right, I'm going to stay clean shaving. And I say... Uh, you don't have a choice. I say, Docs, do whatever's best for the show. You can find out... <laughs> you can find out what Make he's done. Make all of your life decisions based on the podcast. On our next uh, happy hour, you can find out what he's done. And our next happy hour date is... February 28th. February 28th. February or January? January 28th. January 28th. All right, good. Well, we will give you more information about that as we uh, move forward here in the program. January and February are confusing. Also, 18 and 19, I get confused. Okay. I'm not sure why January and February yeah, are confusing. In my brain. Oh, in your brain? Okay. Yeah, it's just a Doc's thing. I'm not going to make sense of that Doc's brain. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, next up, very excited to be joined by author Chris Lear. He's author of Running with the Buffaloes and Sub 4. He's going to join us next on Pace the Nation. All right, welcome back to the program, and now we're very excited to be joined by author of Running with the Buffaloes and Sub 4. He's also a contributing editor to Runner's World and of Running Times. He's uh, a long list here, guys. He's an uh, all-American runner from Princeton University and a 409 high school miler. It's Chris Lear. Chris, what's up, man? Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing well, snowing up here in New England. So you're up in New you're up in New England. You meant you mentioned that to me yesterday. I didn't actually realize you were up in. Uh, for some reason, didn't realize you were up in the Boston uh, area. What 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 brought you up there? 
uh, just work. Um, you know, I'd always, I traveled here in the past and enjoyed the area and had an opportunity with my, uh, my day job to come up here and decided to pull the trigger. So, Chris, um, you must have told Farley yesterday that, that uh, Boston was also in the New England area. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> Your sense of geography isn't tip-top, is that what I'm Yeah, I'm just not that uh, proficient with geography. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I did actually realize, just because the Patriots are up there, Docs, right. I, I know that they're in the Boston area and they're the New England Patriots, so... Otherwise, I'm not sure I would have known so that. So you have the sports connection that, yeah, that filled that, in the map for you? Uh, yeah. So I did have my, my, my first really New England or Boston moment recently. Oh, man. Love um, to hear this. So there's a band called Civil Twilight. I'm not sure you guys are familiar with them. They're from South Africa. Okay. So I never, never thought I'd ever hear them. And then I was working up in Maine. And uh, the people up there, we, we talk music once in a while. And, and they're like, oh, Civil Twilight's coming to Portland wow, that's cool. And they played Boston the night before, so I went to it was a little tiny venue went to go catch the play. And the lead singer comes on stage, and after the opening act, the opening act was Knox Hamilton. I Check them out. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's walking around stage, and he's like, I just got married. And she's expecting everyone to go, yeah! And, like, there's a smattering of applause. And this clearly, <laughs> this clearly unsettles the guy. And then, so, you know, he kind of gathers himself. Yeah. He does that rock star thing where he like slowly runs his hand through his hair and he's about to say something really deep. And then he leans into the mic and he leans back and he goes, Who believes in love? <laughs> and there's like two people that go, Yeah. So it's less cheers this time. <laughs> and it's these less cheers. It's yeah. salty New Englanders who are like, Shut up and play. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So that's my like prototypical Boston moment. That's that's awesome. Um, so you you are not from Boston. You're from New Jersey. Uh, uh, we have a very good mutual friend who was actually our in studio guest last, uh, or he was in our in studio audience, not a guest. Andrew Carnahan. So you you and Carnahan grew up in New Jersey. Um, and I wanted to talk a little about you, you, you as a as a runner. Uh, grew up as a I said a four oh nine miler there in New Jersey, and then uh, went to Princeton. Tell us about your running uh, background. Um, you know, I just got really lucky. I went to a, a tiny prep school in North Jersey. What was it called? No, it was called the Pingree School. Oh my goodness! Okay, it I know. Sounds tough, right? Yeah, I used to go to Pingree a lot for swim meets. Joanna's oh, from right New Jersey. On. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Good. Continue. Some, that's a redeeming uh, feature yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I went to Pingree, and um, you know, small school at the time they didn't have much of a program now their sports are kind of off the chart uh but i was fortunate enough to my sophomore year have a woman by the name of meg walter come to be our assistant coach in the track season and meg had run for burnersville high school which was a dynasty in the early 80s and her high school coaches were ed mather who's you know one of the most successful high school coaches of all time Mm-hmm. And the assistant coach on that team was a young guy named Mark Wetmore, who uh, went on to become the coach at the University of Colorado. So Meg comes into the room the spring of my sophomore year, that, that first preseason meeting, and coach introduces her, and she says, you know, when I was in high school, I ran 208 for the half, and 444 for the mile, and state champ in cross country. And at the time, I was sitting there in the audience going, wow, she could smoke me in every one of these events. <laughs> right. 
so she kind of immediately had my attention. And uh, and then really on that very first day, she just blew my mind because at the end of the day, I had just broken five minutes as a freshman. And uh, at the end of the meeting, I'm thinking like, all right, you know, what do you think I could run this year? She's like, uh, like 4.30. Wow. And I'm like, 4.30? I said, well, you know, the best kid in the state of New Jersey is running like 4.19. Um, you know, this is the early 90s, so you have to remember this is like a totally different era than what it is now. Right, for our younger, faster listeners, yeah, 4.30 used to be good. 4.19 used to be spectacular. Yeah, I came around in an era where we were absolutely deplorable at, at run. <laughs> right, um, right. That, that's when I ran. And uh, so what, what, what caught my attention then was um, I said, you know, that's ridiculous. It's, that's almost like state champ. I mean, it's only 10 seconds away. And then she said, uh, well, on my high school team, we had four guys in our 420. We had two or three guys in our 410. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you were, you graduated high school 10 years ago. Uh, you know, every sport, all you hear about is decade by decade, people getting better and faster. How in the world are we worse now than, you know, collectively than we were 10 years ago? It doesn't make any sense. So, uh, so I, I just kind of came under her spell and uh, just made a lot of a lot of improvements, and um, you know it was just a real fun ride. And I, I think the, uh, you know, I was lucky enough that at the time, not many people really knew what they were doing from a training perspective, mm-hmm. and Meg did. She's a UVA grad. There you go. Oh, yeah. I'm interested so, now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So I, that's how I kind of got into running, and then. Um, you know, ran for Princeton and, and ran a couple of years after, and just have always been a state of fan of the sport. So you ran 409 in high school. Mark, Mark Wetmore, who you uh, mentioned there, uh, was kind of a mentor to you in, in, in high school as well, and he'll play a major part uh, in, in, in you writing the book, Running with the Buffaloes, obviously. But at Princeton, were you an English major, a writing major? Is there a major called writing? I mean, what were you? There were, should be. Were you an? No. Were you thinking of being an author when you were in Princeton? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did a ton of writing. I was a liberal arts major. I was literally like a flip of the coin. If I'm a history major or sociology or American studies, um, and I ended up doing like a minor in American studies, which I think. At one point in time when I was in college, the whole Notre Dame football team was an American Studies major. It tells you how, how rigorous right. that is. Good um, company to be in. Way to go, Lear. Nice. I know. Me and Michael Stonebreaker. Right. Not, not, <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, so I just, I just did a ton of writing. But I never, um, you know, at the time, I never thought, I didn't have any ambitions of becoming an author. And uh, I think the, the, the big experience, kind of the formative experience, was I had to do a thesis as a senior. Um, and that was, you know, a hundred some odd pages and, uh, just putting that, going through the process of, of putting that project together and doing that, um, just, I guess it gave me the confidence that I could swing off a book if I wanted to do it. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was well received by, by my, um, my advisor in the department. And what was, so what was the thesis on? Ah, it's, it's the most boring thing. You're just about to lose half your listeners. <laughs> Um, so we're going from four to two, I think. Right. right yeah, exactly. I, ha- I do have my mom listening. Nice. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Lear. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, uh, it was on the gentrification of Hoboken, New Jersey. And, wow. uh, I looked, I looked at the, uh, economic, political, and just kind of social factors that, that caused that to happen. But, you know, oddly enough, originally my original idea 
was similar in nature to what I ended up doing with Alan Webb in Michigan, with Colorado guys, and I was going to do what's in academic terms is called an ethnography of the yuppies that were invading Hoboken, <laughs> and uh, which essentially was going to mean going and hanging out in bars and drinking with all the young 20-somethings, and it sounded like a lot of fun, but I broke my foot and uh, had to scrap that, so I, I did something that pinned me to the library, which is much less fun. <laughs> right. Well, so... After you graduated college, you went out to Stanford to, to run. What, what else were you doing in, in that time, and, and kind of what was your, your, your goal in life here? Um, you know, I, I, I really, uh, I think I was disappointed in how my running experience ended in college. Um, I really wanted to try to give that one more go. And so Nike at the time had a, a group called the, the Farm Team, that was just getting started up, and they were based at Stanford. And it's a Stanford, a nickname for the campus is the Farm, and mm-hmm. the Farm Team. And that seemed like a, a cool opportunity if I could run with those guys. So I managed to get a job that pretty much would allow me to to run. Um, but I found myself not running because my broken navicular bone didn't heal, and eventually got surgery out there. Uh, but what it did allow me to do is to pursue my passion of just reading nonfiction sports narratives. So in college, I just did so much academic work that I'd read them when I could. But, you know, I, I was just focused more on just doing stuff you have to do for school. So now that I was, you know, just on my own, I just read about every possible book I could in that genre. And um, just more and more with, with each book that I read, it just ticked me off that I could not find something like that for running, uh, which is obviously the sport that I knew best. And I felt like there was some inherent drama um, with the cross-country season especially that would lend itself to, to making an entertaining read. And uh, so, yeah, so over the, the course of those two years, you know, I met some great people, Jeff Johnson, who founded the, the farm team and I think is the unacknowledged starter of the minimalist shoe movement. We can get to that later. <laughs> uh, but, um, but it was actually one day I was stuck in traffic on the Bay Bridge going to my job. And I had been thinking, you know, about about this book and why can't I see this book that I want to read? Why is it whenever I go to the bookstore, the only thing I find are these, you know, BS narratives on how to PR in the marathon running 20 miles a week? Um, and uh, felt like there was an opportunity. And just I remember that one day just being like, you know what, I'm just going you know, to screw it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, a lot of our, our listeners pro- might not have read uh... – running with the buffaloes and yet yet Yet. yeah for sure and don't even know that the uh colorado team's mascot is the buffalo um or buffaloes is it buffalo or buffaloes i think it's buffaloes and they're all writing majors and they're all writing majors (laughs) so uh yeah tell us about uh the process of 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 deciding to write uh, the book or or follow the team like had you been in in contact with mark since your high school days like how did how did it come about that you decided that the team that you wanted to write about specifically was Colorado especially since you're you're out in Stanford at the time yeah yeah it's a good question so you know I decided that I wanted to do this narrative with a team and I started to start my research and started asking myself you know what would be the the best story uh for the coming year and I literally you know looked at all the different universities and programs out there 
And at the time, college running was really dominated by foreign athletes. Um, you know, Arkansas, you know, they had a lot of guys from, uh, from Europe and from Africa. And, and it seemed like everyone was winning but teams with American kids. And, uh, you know, as I just kind of went down the list of what teams might be positioned to do well and be an interesting story, I came, at the end of the day, I came back to Colorado. And uh, the reason being that they had a kid named Adam Goucher, who is uh, probably most well-known at this point in time as the husband of the marathoner, Tara Goucher. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was a phenomenal talent. He was a senior. Um, I had met him when I was going into my sophomore year in college. I went to um, a development camp at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and there's about 30 of us that were there, and Adam was the only high school kid that was invited. And Adam did a VO2 max test, which is where you get up on a treadmill and they put a mask on your face, and they basically see like how well your body processes oxygen. Uh, and they picked three guys to do it, and it was in a tiny lab near the VOTC in Colorado Springs. And they gave us instructions. They're like, all right, everyone here, you're going to pack in this room. And as this test gets hard, these guys are on a treadmill. It's going to get progressively faster, and they're going to, the incline is going to increase. Kind of like that scene in Rocky, you know? Right, like right. Cranking on a treadmill. And so when it gets difficult, they make, gave us a signal. They just wanted to cheer these guys on until they hit their max, and that'd be it. So the first two kids went. I remember there was a kid from UCLA, a kid from Purdue. They did their thing. They hit their max, and they basically just, like, collapsed off the machine. Then Goucher goes, and then he gets on there, and he's going and going, and next thing you know, he's on for about twice as long as the other guys. And then I remember looking, and I see a guy sitting behind the computer where the numbers are spitting out, and he says, oh, blank. Right. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, what kind of numbers is he spitting out here? And then, uh, you know, so we're, we're cheering for him, and then they finally tell him, like, okay, you're, you're at your max. And he can't talk because he's got this thing in his mouth. And he just shakes the guy off. And he's like, uh-uh. And then he makes, like, a come-hither motion with his hand. Like, come on, bring it on. Give me more. Wow. And, then, and for, like, the next two minutes, he's, like, arguing with these guys. And I remember, for me, that made a distinct impression. That was the first time I met him. And I was like, okay, of all these kids in the room, and there's a couple guys that went on to be on U.S. teams or this or that. Um, I was like, this guy, he's either tougher or he's got – a bigger engine or a combination of the two. So fast forward to being in college, to being in California and want to write a book, and now he's going into his senior year. He's leading a team of all American kids, and they're trying to be the first team of all American kids to win the NCAAs in forever. Um, and he had never won. As a freshman, he finished second, which was unbelievable, um, but he had yet to win the NCAA title. So from an individual perspective, I thought that that was an interesting storyline. There was a storyline involving all the kids on the team um, you know, all these essentially un, unrecruited walk-on types for the most part. And then, uh, and then the coach was an iconoclastic figure. Uh, and then the last piece was, you know, there was an, when, I, when I was in college, that same summer I went to the OTC, I, uh, I lived in Boulder for the summer with a couple of friends. And I remember one day there was a walk-on on the team, and Wetmore had just started coaching at CU. And there's a creek path in Boulder that kind of cuts through town. And one of my roommates had gone for a jog in the morning on the creek path. And he happened to run, run past a guy on the Colorado team who was like the last guy on the squad, never going to be on the varsity, you know, just a ha- hanger-on type of guy. 
and uh, and the guy's running in his tidy whities down the creek path, <laughs> and uh, and my friend was like, you know, what 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 are yeah, you doing? What's going on? And uh, I mean, Boulder's a weird place, but that's you know, right. Even by Boulder standards, it's kind of bizarre. So, um, you know, he tells him he's like, listen, I you know I haven't spent the night at my girlfriend's last night, and I didn't have my stuff, and I gotta get my run in. <laughs> and uh, and that for me you know, spoke volumes in, in a very short amount of time, you know, that was kind of the sense of accountability that Wetmore was creating. So from an outsider's perspective, it was kind of a glimpse of, you know, things like that. I just felt like this team was, was going to be as good of a story as any to follow and to write about. Um, and then so I set about trying to talk Wetmore into uh, letting me come, which took about seven or eight months. And so finally, <laughs> and finally let you do it. One, yeah. Once you got uh, Wetmore's buy-in, you, you got the coach's buy-in, how, how were you received by the team? Uh, it was a process. I mean, I, I got there early. You know, the moment I literally only found out, he never even said yes. Um, I, did, I did not get a yes from Mark uh, Wetmore. He, um, still still he waiting on got, that? <laughs> yeah, I think he finally capitulated, really. I was like, all right, like, if you're really going to do this, and. You know, I was kind of persistently nagging him for you know probably six or seven, eight months. And the question um, that you, that you were looking for the yes to was basically, I want to follow this team twenty four seven, full access, be at the races, be at the workouts, and everything, right? Yep, be a fly on the wall and capture the, capture the season. And uh, he finally said, you know, if you really want to do this, I won't get in your way. <laughs> I was as close to the yes as I got, and so with that, I was like, awesome. I saved up about four or five thousand dollars. I had no publishing contract. I was going to um, ask. So, no publishing contract, no advance, no, no real uh, guarantees of anything, right? Nothing. No. Yeah. Wow. Nothing. Um, you know, but I, so I just had, you know, yeah, I can't remember what it was. I had four or five thousand dollars I saved up. Um, so I sold everything. I didn't have much. Yeah. Uh, and I had a little Saturn sedan and um, just. Pack my stuff up, you know, when I got, after I got that phone call, gave my notice at work. And, uh, you know, a week or two later, I drove to, uh, from San Francisco to Boulder. So, um, and then I got started. So with the team, in terms of gaining their trust, you know, I think initially I, you know, said, Hey, you know, here I am and kind of this is what I'm doing. And I think they all looked at me like I was a little nuts and they're like, you know, just, you know, this is kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, and then, you know, as, I just, you know, attendance matters, right? So as I kept right. showing up every day and doing my thing, um, I think I really started gaining their trust. And, and then there were some moments that really that really stood out, you know, and after the fact um, for them, you know, like they had their preseason training camp up in, uh, up in the mountains at like 9,000 feet. And uh, they went on this run and ended up going the wrong way and going for like an, an hour-long climb. And I was on a mountain bike that must have weighed 20 pounds probably one of the first mountain bikes ever made. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, I have my backpack. I got my tape recorder. I got my camera. I got my, note, my notepad. No, notepad, like no iPad at the time or anything. Oh, yeah. No, I, no iPhones, no iPad. Yeah. So I literally like camera, film camera, you know, notepad. No uh, digital tape, camera? Tape recorder. No digital camera. It's 1998. Oh, sorry. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I forget exactly yeah, when those things came out. Yeah, so, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so with that, um, you know, at one point I mean, we get to the top of the hill and we got to go back down. And the nice part about being on a bike is it just kind of allows to capture 
whatever story was kind of of interest or what was happening at the time, you know, I could I could see it because Goucher, best runner, was on a totally different level, training harder than at that point probably anyone in the United States, maybe possibly the world. Um, he was just an animal, uh, but I was interested in the whole team, and so I could kind of go back and forth. So, I, long story short, I lose control of the bike going down the hill, and I completely biff it, fly over the handlebars, knock the wind out of myself. I'm bloody. I'm like on the side of the trail. And the guys come running by me, and they think it's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> and, uh, and the fact that I actually like got up and finished, then that for them was like, oh, like okay, I guess he's kind of serious. About this. You you uh, earned uh, their trust and, and had serious street cred at that point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so. it, it it was. I mean, and I, you know, I don't want to spoil the book, but you know, all of us have read the book, and I don't know if in the past I've said w- what my favorite book was, but this was definitely my favorite running book. I don't know if I said that. I amend my previous statement. This was my favorite running book, and I love both your books. Um, but it really had, and again, I don't want to spoil the book, but it really had, uh, you, you know, you don't know what you're getting into, but it had like Hollywood elements to this story that were just unbelievable throughout the entire season, right? It did. You know, I mean, retrospectively, you know, you, you say, should I have picked a different team or could I have, and uh, it just happened to work out that, you know, if there was if there was a team in a 20-year period to, that you wanted to be following, that was it. Um, so it's just dumb, just dumb luck, really. Although, in 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 the book was was very successful. Um, you know, tell us about like after the book was published, um, selling you know, it, s- s- selling it, and you know. Trying, well, because you, Chris, you also didn't have a publishing you didn't have deal. A publisher. So like, how you, did that work? Yeah, you wrote the book and then you had to find somebody to publish it. Yeah, that was a disaster. <laughs> um, I mean, anyone who knows, anyone who's an aspiring writer or, or, or whatever, just knows how difficult the publishing industry is. Um, and it's done nothing but get more difficult over the next, you know, twenty years or close to twenty years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and I had no idea, you know, what to do. My real, my real thought was. Let me just write it. Let me. I just want to get it done. Uh, I just had. A, a, I felt like I had a story that had to be told and that hadn't been told. And um, so when the season ended, I my bank account hit zero, <laughs> and uh, and I I took a couple part time jobs and I spent the next year writing the book. Um, you know, I'd been writing pieces as as the season went along, kind of doing my narrative as much as I could. But it's one of those stories that. You know, the, the proverbial grain of sand that causes a blister in someone's shoe is inconsequential the day it happens, but it could be a big thing three weeks later. So right. events take on that an importance. So I couldn't really do the bulk of the writing until the season was over and I knew all the storylines. And uh, so, yeah, when I finished it, I said, okay, what next? And I was naive enough not to reach out to, to the Princeton Network, where there's, there's a lot of people um, who, are, who have fairly prominent positions in the publishing world. Well, they weren't um, liberal arts majors who were taking the same uh, major as all the Notre Dame football players. That was your problem. Exactly. <laughs> that was the problem. I think I'm going to find out. Right. They, they all majored in, in publishing, Farley. Yes, majored in publishing, right. which I'm sure mm-hmm. is a major mm-hmm. with writing, publishing mm-hmm. and writing. Right. So you did yeah, not reach out to those folks. So I didn't. <laughs> and I, you know, I just looked at all the books that I liked, so all the sports books that I really that I read that I liked that I thought of this was in the same category of. Generally, if you read the foreword of the book, you'll see they'll acknowledge their agents or they'll acknowledge different people. And then mm-hmm. I, I tried to 
um, you know, using web crawler or like Yahoo search, uh, <laughs> tried to find, <laughs> tried to find these people and, uh, submitted the manuscript blindly to like 20 different publishers. And, uh, the funny thing is the first, actually before I went out there, um, to do the book, I actually did make an attempt to secure some money before I did it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know who it was, but they, um, they literally laughed at me on the phone and were like, this is, you're ridiculous. Right. Running books, running books don't sell and you're an unknown. You've never published anything and, uh, you know, get out of here. So, uh, when I finished the book and I sent out these manuscripts, I more or less got the same response from most in that most publishers, they don't consider unsolicited manuscripts. So I would print these things out and send them out and spend the 20 bucks to ship them. And then they'd come right back with a form letter saying, we don't accept unsolicited manuscripts. So all but, 20 that you shipped out. Yeah, I'm going to say I sent I sent out like 20 copies. Yeah. You know, and just said, all right, here goes nothing. Right. Um, but there's two or three of them where I actually got a personalized rejection letter. <laughs> um, and uh, and they said, we this is a really good book. We just don't think a running book will ever sell. So, good, you know, good luck. But that was enough for me. At least I was like, well, you know, someone thinks it's good. And then I took the manuscript. At that point, I was trying to debate, you know, how do I move forward? And I hadn't let the guys on the team read it. Um, and I remember I went to the Village Coffee Shop in Boulder one day where a lot of the guys like to go eat breakfast. And I brought a few copies of the book, um, you know, on on loose-leaf right. printer paper. Just print it out, right. Um, and I just said, listen, guys, like, basically, I got I, I just lost. So, here, you know, you tell me if this is worth pursuing or if it sucks. I value your opinion. And, I mean, this ultimately was, you guys know the story. And they came back to me and, you know, to a man were like, wow, you know, you, you captured what it was like, like the, you know, kind of the essence of the season. And so that, with that, when they said that, that made me keep moving on. And, and recharge you some, yeah. And so I was like, okay, I know... I know if I did an authentic job of conveying what happened, that I think this is gonna, I think it's gonna work. So I just, uh, at the time, there was something called publishing on demand, which mm-hmm. still is, it was in its infancy. Now it's pretty big. Um, and basically, what it is is they allow you to, to to publish the book and test market it and keep the copyright. Um, so I went with a little outfit that was terrible to work with and um, <laughs> test marketed the book, and they. Uh, you know, so I just sent some copies out there, and I said, "Well, if I can get some good reviews, I can sell a few copies. Maybe I can get the deal I'm looking for." Um, and it, it worked out. It just, uh, fortunately, word of mouth was really powerful, and it just took off on on Amazon. And um, the reviews were great. And then I got a phone call one day. I came back to my apartment. And I had a, a message from Dick Patrick from USA Today, yep. um, who had heard about it, and he said he wanted to do a feature story on it. And uh, then. USA did today did a feature story and and they wrote that uh, Dick wrote that you know this book is to running what the season on the brink is to college basketball. Wow! And uh, and that book is the most successful best selling sports book of all time. So uh, with that, after you know, so now it's been like two years, three years of work. Um, I finally you know got I got phone calls after that came out from publishers that had rejected it, saying um, you know we'd love to, we'd like to pick it up. So, so then uh, how did you choose which publisher right. you were going to go I with? I just made so many mistakes through the whole process. And, uh, you know, I just, there was a, there was a smaller publisher and, and I, I trusted them. I did not have an attorney look at the contract. 
that I signed. And uh. so, you know, like many, like many artists, I, I, you know, I thank anyone who might read this who hasn't read it for buying. When you get to a hundred copies, I will get a cup of coffee. Right. So Um, it's really not much. Oh, that's terrible. You know, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, listen, you got to kind of go back to why, why you did it. And it would have been nice to, you know, made a lot of money. I should have made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the more gratifying thing is that I can't believe, I can't believe it. I mean, here we are, it's almost 20 years later and we're actually talking about this, which is absurd. So, uh, so how many copies? How many copies do you think you you know? How many copies you've sold? I don't even keep track. Yeah, I, mean, I get roy- I still get royalty checks every every six months, and and uh, you know it just it keeps selling. You know, the the proxy for sales, you can kind of look at the sales ranking on Amazon, and it's, you know, especially during the holidays, it always picks up. But uh, um, it's still selling thousands of copies every year, which is pretty amazing. That is so. amazing. But you still have another full time job, so just, just yeah, I mean. Just yeah. it's it's not <clears throat> what maybe it could be or should be as many copies as it's sold. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think the publishing world is just it, it's just a it's a different it's a different beast. And as anyone who knows anyone who's in that in that world, it's a tough it's a tough place to be. The internet changed everything. And um, when I was writing my second book, uh, I just had kind of my come to Jesus moment with my um, my editor for my first book. Um, we were both writing full time. And uh, he went on to uh, to leave journalism and become an attorney. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, we just had a lot of, a lot of conversations about the direction of publishing. And um, I felt like, you know, I, when I was writing Sub Four, um, I was still still single. Um, I think I just got engaged, um, but I, you know, wanted to have a family one day, this and that. And I just felt like, as a vocation. Um, there were so many negative trends that were going to be difficult to overcome. So I decided to make it an avocation after that. Right. And um, so I keep my hand in it. But it's, so, uh, but it's not a totally full-time thing for you, which is it's too bad. But because there has been, you know, that both books have been very successful. And there's been uh, some pretty notable people uh, read your books, including, is, is it right, George Bush uh, read the book or picked it up? Yeah, yes, yeah, that's when he was in you know, when he was in the White House. He read it, which is kind of yeah ridiculous. How did you find that out? Um, I had a uh, a book signing in Chicago when Sub Four came out at the marathon, um, which was a hideous book signing because everyone came to buy Sub Four and they're like, "Oh, awesome! This is about running a Sub Four marathon." I'm in, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no, it's a Sub Four Mile." It's right, Kidding Alan Webb. Right, uh, kind of good. Right. And, uh, yeah, so, but when I was there, I happened to, um, I, I was up there for, for my, my day job too. I was kind of knocking two birds out of one stone. And, and there's a woman I work with who bought a copy of it for her brother who was in the Secret Service working in the White House. And, um, she, uh, went back to the White House. She gave her, her brother my second book. Um, and then a couple months later, I get a phone call from her and she relayed the story to me that, uh, you know, who her brother was, in fact, in the Secret Service. I you know, didn't know that. She was having me sign a book for her brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, and apparently, um, Bush was carrying running with the Buffaloes in the White House. And he said uh, to the president, you know, hey, I've, I've read that book. It's a good book. And um, and he said, yeah, you know, I, I can't put it down. And so allegedly yes. for a couple, a couple of days in between meetings, he was picking it up and reading chapters. Um, 
that, so, that is, that's incredible. Um, whether it's true or not, right. I was like, well, nah, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna say it's true. <laughs> that's, that's a great great story. So you you do sub four next, um, and sub four of course is about Alan Webb, Alan Webb, a local and, guy, and yeah, he's a, he's a local guy, and we do a running podcast. But I bet a lot of our listeners don't even know who Alan Webb is. So who is Alan Webb, Chris? Uh, he is the fastest human to run the mile since 2007. Uh, in, in 2007, he ran the mile in three minutes and 46 seconds, and no human has run faster since. In the world. Probably, wow, I actually didn't world. realize that. Yeah, so I think that's probably at this point, you know, his biggest legacy. American record holder in the mile um, for a period of time and. That 2007 year, he was the best middle distance runner in the world. Um, when I first met him, he was the best prospect ever. He ran a, a 3.53 mile as a high schooler, and, um, you and know, he went, one to, he of the went to South Lake, Lakes High School here in Reston, Reston, Virginia. His his brother uh, is a uh, avid fan of our show, so um, Chris Webb listens uh, to every episode. So uh, nice. Yeah, so that, that's, Hello, that's that's of that's of note note for us as as well. Um, uh, so Chris, how did you meet Alan? Because at this time, where are where are you living? Like, how do your paths cross? Yeah, I was in, I was in Colorado still, and um, I was working for a small tech company after uh, Running with the Buffaloes came out and um, doing some magazine work. And there were some kids, you know, Boulder attracts college kids every summer uh, to come and train there. And some of the guys from the University of Michigan came out, and Alan had decided to go to the University of Michigan. And I befriended these guys, and we do some runs with them. And before they left town, I said, you know, please kind of keep tabs on how Alan's doing. I'd love to hear hear how things are going. And, um, you know, and just kind of take it from there. And so they, you know, as soon as Alan got to campus, he was just destroying course records that have been run for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had a lot of, you know, prominent Olympians and medalists go through the program at Michigan. So, um, you know, he's he's breaking course records that have stood for years by and were set by some very very fast athletes. Uh, so it was it wasn't just the fact that he was running fast, but the manner in which he was doing it, and the frequency with which he was doing it. I mean, it was like every other day, he was just destroying stuff, and his teammates were just in total awe of what he was doing, and. uh so they would send me these emails, and then I just was like, I gotta, I gotta get out there. I gotta do this for myself. And uh, Running Times um, gave me a deal to uh, to go out there and write a feature on him. So in the fall of his freshman year, I went to flew to Ann Arbor and spent a few days with him, and that was when I met Alan. And uh, when I finished those couple of days and finished that story, I was thoroughly convinced that he was, you know, everyone knew he was kind of the next great thing, but I knew that. There was this it wasn't just hype. I mean, this guy was the, the real deal, and uh, and then Rodale offered me the opportunity to um, more or less do the same type of book that I did with running with the Buffaloes, spend a season with them, spend a freshman track season with them, and the Michigan team. And uh, it just happened to work out with my uh, my life um, timing wise, and so I said, yeah, and pulled the trigger and went out there. So this time you got a better deal up front. Good work on that. Um, I guess you learned from, I would assume your third book, you're just going to make a killing and retire on the next, whatever it is you decide to make next with all this experience. 
Uh, oh, of course. I yeah. mean, running books, you know, as we all know, now, now it's like, forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how, how was that? So you just spent, the, you spent the track season with him. Um, was it uh, similar to the, the running with, with the Buffaloes where it was a similar great uh, ins- inspirational story? No, it's totally different you know, type of narrative. I mean, when you're dealing with nonfiction, you, you've got to play with the hand that you're dealt. And, um, you know, between the two or three months from when I was with Alan in the fall to the spring, Kai's world had been turned upside down. And, you know, he was dealing with some injuries for the first time and uh, deciding, you know, did I make a mistake going to college? At the time, there was a lot of debate about whether or not the best path for a runner of his talent to, to get to the top of the world was to go to college and through the NCAA system or to go pro right out of high school, which was really unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he started having some doubts. And so that, you know, that spring was really a time of, of a lot of soul searching and um, a lot of kind of inner turmoil for Alan. And uh, he was surrounded by four other world-class runners. Um, so, you know, essentially it was, it, the story was 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 very different than than running with the buffaloes, and that I think you you know you get to see uh, a kid who's got all the pressure in the world on his shoulders. Uh, the media requests for him were on par with what the Fab Five had in their every show. Wow! So the attention placed on him was just unbelievable, and uh, and you know he had to kind of navigate you know the adversity and figure out what he was going to do and you know fortunately for him he came out on the other side and uh so a totally different totally different narrative and you know i think what it did do is really kind of offer a glimpse into the lives of these world-class runners and uh you know so i think i accomplished what i wanted to do with the first with running with the buffaloes um but the storyline is totally different and uh fortunately with the paperback, I got to write the afterward. And, uh, you know, a couple of years after he left Michigan, he was on top of the world. And, you know, I, he really got to reflect on everything he learned while he was there. And uh, if you've met Alan, you know, he's a very, he's a really smart kid and he can be very introspective. And uh, so that, I think when the paperback came out, it kind of gave me the ending that I was looking for uh, when I wrote the book. So, so um, your, your books okay. are, I mean, and I think this is great about it. Your books, if, if, if people haven't read them, they're not just about, you know, splits and, and training programs and workouts that these guys did. I mean, it really does dive into the interpersonal struggles that these guys have and the emotions, and it's way more than just running, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's, you know, I'm really interested in, in kind of outliers and and leaders, and uh, you know, when I see see Debo Swinney, I think I pronounced that right, the Clemson football coach. Yep. Uh, and I was watching the, the national championship the other night, and I heard Kurt Kerb Street talking about how he spent some time with the team, and prior to the game, the week leading up in the game, he was in a locker room, and he was calling calling the guys out by name, saying, you know, John Smith, you're the best running back in America. You're good for a couple touchdowns, and you, you're going to be good for a couple sacks, and on and on. And when he's telling that story. Um, it made me think of John McDonald, who was the winningest collegiate coach of all time, and I had an aborted book that I was going to work on with him. At Arkansas, and, right? Uh, yeah. At Arkansas, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, John would do that with the Arkansas guys. And mm-hmm. before the the conference meets, which I don't, if I recall correctly, I don't think he ever lost a conference meet. 
um, the guys would tell me that that's what he would do. He'd have everyone in the locker room and he's saying, you know, you're, you're good for six points, you're good for eight points. And, you know, there's that, that intangible leadership quality that ultimately, especially in today's day, day and age, when everyone really knows how to train, like there aren't really any secrets. Mm-hmm. So then what's the X factor that makes people really good? And it's something to do with like this, the culture and the sociology and your inner drive. So that's the stuff that, that really has always interested me. Um, you know, more so than the X's and O's. Can we get a kick, Joanna Docs? Can we get a Kickstarter or something? That's what they do these <laughs> days to get this book going here. Uh, you said you ab- aborted the book. I mean, we got four listeners, Chris. Your mom, I'm sure, will contribute. And I'm sure the other three will give you 100 bucks too. Will that get it done? $400? Wait, wait. You guys didn't win Powerball last night? No, we did not, unfortunately. We did buy a few tickets, but no. Uh, our conversation might be a little different. I might have uh, said, hey, let me reschedule if we'd won the Powerball, but not this time. But uh, no, is so is that book, you, you mentioned that book, is that book dead or is that something you maybe go go back to? Because McDonald's still coaches, right? No, he's retired. Oh, he's retired, they, okay. They, they, yeah, they ended up, they ended up um, going with another author when I, uh, Got it. Um, when it fell through on my end. And uh, so no, so I, you know, I got, never say never, um, but it's just, uh, it's, I think that just the whole media landscape has changed tremendously. Yeah. And, um and so, uh, you know, there's, I, I'll still contribute to some running magazines and, but to take on a really big project, um, it just, it's a, it's a big commitment and it would take a lot of work. So I'm, I'm always noodling on a few different ideas in the background, but it's premature to talk about anything at this point. Yeah. I mean, so we get, we're heading into Olympic year. It was, it's really disappointing that running times folded and you've given us some of your thoughts on, on print. But are you still engaged at that level with these athletes or, you know, in conversations and following it pretty closely? I, you know, I, no, I'm not. Yeah. I, you know, I like, I think um, the sport has some major problems at the highest level. Um, when, when you don't believe what you see, mm-hmm. uh, it really takes a lot of the fun out of it. And I think all of the drug scandals and everything are really taking a toll. I know for me, it just takes all the wind out of my sails and just makes me just disinterested um, in in really watching. Um, so uh, I I I, li- I I still like it, but I think what I find is that I, I like it the most at maybe the high school level and the right. college level, where right. I, I feel like I can believe in the product. Um, but at the highest level, um, there's just too much that makes me skeptical uh, about what I'm seeing. And at the end of the day, it's almost like you feel duped. Um, yeah. so, uh, are you still contracted by, I mean, running times is full. Are you still contracted with or, or doing work for, for runner's world? No, I don't do, I'm not doing any work for runner's world. Uh, there's a new running magazine that launched recently called meter, um, Okay. made by a company called Tracksmith. Yes. And, we uh, know me. I mean, uh, Joanna loves Tracksmith and we sell meter yeah, we in do. the stores. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I've done, um, I've, I've done some work for them. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that they've got, they've got a really, um, really great aesthetic and they've got a different point of view. And so, you know, I think in, in today's world, you've really got to, if you don't have that, um, you're just dead in the water. Uh, so, I, and I think there's some, there's actually an interesting magazine coming out of England now called Like the Wind mm-hmm. that I just got, that I, uh, I just heard about that looks to be very similar in spirit to uh, to Meter Magazine. So, 
so I, I like reading those and, you know, occasionally for, you know, make, make some beer money and, and right. because I love it, I'll, 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 I'll do some, do some work, um, for fun. Really, it's, for me, it's a labor of love. And I still think that there's, there's so many interesting characters and, and people in, in, in the sport and it's certainly a sport I love. So, uh, you know, I imagine that on some level I'll stay involved. Um, as we move forward. Now, now, jo- Joanna, this question is for you while we got Chris on. Now, you're kind of an aspiring author. That's I'm true. Just pu- yeah. kind of putting it out there. Has this taken the wind out of your sails talking to a guy who's done it? <laughs> or has it inspired you? Um, well, I have some friends that work in publishing. Yeah, so, so I you kind know of, the deal. Yeah, I kind yeah. of have an idea about it. Um, but it makes me wish. So after... Um, when, when Kara Goucher first announced that she was pregnant, I wanted to just write her a letter and be like, can I come live with you and, and write a book about what it's like to be an elite runner and be pregnant and then try to come back after that. And now I wish that I had just kept asking her seven times until she kind of gave me a yes. Right. And then I went out there. <laughs> well, now, you know, Chris, he, he would give you some street cred cause you would tell, you would tell him about falling off the bike, you know, the 20 pound bike and bloody and Adam would be like, all right. She's legit because I know that if she knows this guy, Chris, uh, that's too, yeah, that's too so, bad. You know, you Kara's actually a great example. Like, I can't think of any athlete who's done a better job from a PR perspective than she has. Right. Um, in the, you know, in the running world, I think she's got 40 or 50,000 Twitter followers and, you know, she's kind of got the whole social media presence thing down. Um, and, uh, and that's a, you know, from Joanna, you can correct me if I'm wrong because I, I don't keep too close to the tab on it, but, you know, to get a book published, I think a big part of the whole deal is proving to publishers who tend to be very risk averse that there's an audience for your work out there, and more right. that you can you can have um, numbers to show that look, I have you know I have a podcast, and that there's all, x amount of people that do that, and a Twitter, and this and that. Um, you know, the the better your odds are of something getting picked up. So, guys, it looks like I'm writing a book. Yeah. Nice. All right, let's call, call Kara Goucher. I, Chris, I couldn't even – you said Twitter. I, I couldn't even find you on Twitter. Are you on Twitter? Do you do social media? No, I'm, I'm out, man. <laughs> you really? I, 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 Off yeah, the grid. Not on anything. Nothing. All right. I respect no. that. I don't think that helps yeah. your your uh, your books any, but I don't know. That's, <laughs> no. I don't think what, so do, what do I know? I mean, I haven't written two books, so I don't and know. And you didn't it. major in writing I or publishing? Definitely not. I was worse than the liberal arts uh, major that uh, Chris and all the Notre Dame guys were, were taking. I was a psychology major. Would you majored in bi-psych. Yes, I did. That was a that was a good. That was my favorite class, and inspired me to be a psychology major, which I use nothing with, but still love UVA. Um. Um, wait, Chris, I have to go back kind of to both the running with the buffaloes and sub four. I think the best books um, take us to places or situations that we can't and un- or we're unlikely to experience firsthand. So, um, you know, spending time with Colorado, spending time with Michigan, what was the most surprising thing about being with those teams that maybe you didn't think would happen or that you didn't know about the team going in? You know, I think... Um I, I guess it wasn't really uh, surprising per se, but um, the era that, that I grew up in, um, what I knew, especially on the East Coast, is the, the top-level teams and guys were still very much burning the candle at both ends. And it was, you know, going working hard all week and then partying hard on Friday or Saturday night. Um, and uh, believe it or not, these guys, most of them that were at that level, um at the level of Colorado or, or the Michigan guys, they had a pretty monastic lifestyle. And um, so that, that was, you know, 
and now now I think that's very common, but at the time that was you know I, I it shouldn't have been, but I guess that was a bit of a an aha for me. Docs, really I know why we didn't run that. well at UVA now. <laughs> I didn't party in too UVA. Too many curls. Yes, that was for me. Yeah, too many yeah. more lights. But I think the other part that was kind of surprising is that I see. Uh, I think just finding out the psychological makeup of like what makes you know what are the best guys have that that others don't, and I think something that's totally overlooked is just that psychological profile on an individual level for the very best guys. And um, Tim Bro is a great example. Um, you know, many time U.S. champ, and he has an ability to you know he. I'm just going to make up a hypothetical, but he could like get stuck on a plane and be in an airport and be up all night and show up you know at the to race and he could just forget about everything he'd been through in the previous 24 hours and just mm-hmm. say like I'm, I'm here to roll and I'm here to, you know knock your head off and let's go um, and I think that kind of uh, ability to not care too much about it and you know be a little be pretty loose about it um, is, is, a, is a big factor in, in separating the guys that are the very best from the people that are um, don't forget there I think you can be too type A basically. right mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing is just, so, you know, sociologically, the, you know, that team element, um, is just fascinating. I mean, I think, I mean, I think that's what the best coaches share. Doesn't matter if it's, um, the Clemson guy. I mean, he, to me, from the outside, he looks like a clown. Right. Uh, all, sweetie. Right. All of his guys totally buy in. Right. And, and, uh, and there's so many, and in running too, there's so many different ways to, to do it. Right. You can have guys like what more and at Colorado and Warhurst in Michigan, could not be more different in their approach. Um, one guy is very scientific and calculating. The other guy is all about kind of feel and intuition. And um, But if you can get people to believe and be accountable beyond themselves, that's a very powerful thing. And then also knowing who you, you know, you got to have some self-awareness of who you are and what kind of system you're going to do well in. Um, and, uh, you know, so you can just there can just be a mismatch and if you're just not in the right place and you're looking for um a very scientific approach and and the coach has something that's not the opposite it's probably never gonna work work. um so i think those are just kind of some of the overarching lessons i don't know if that really answered your question but no that was great thank you (laughs) um all right man i really appreciate you joining us with last question here uh I was thrilled to know that you actually listened to one of our shows or some parts of our show, so I appreciate that. Um, give us, from a professional storyteller, give us a critique of Pace the Nation podcast. I think you guys have a great dynamic. Thanks, I love man. the uh, I love the interplay between Docs and Joanna and yourself, and nice. the uh, you guys you guys had me laughing, and more most importantly, it was it's entertaining. So, this guy's going to um, be back on the show. I love it. Good. <laughs> that, yeah. no, and, and, and I know why you called me, too. Because I'm the guy that gets called during a really slow news cycle. Yeah, it was, it was a tough week. On. You know, it's January. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. What, what are we going to do? <laughs> no, no. Like, oh, wait, wait. No, we know this guy. <laughs> no, not true. You were one of the top on our list. I'm glad we could make, make this happen. So, so yeah, when you, need, when you need filler, you can call me. But I have a running question. Yes, you please. You running gurus, okay? Yes. All right. Um, without giving away my age, uh, my uh, I, I think it's too guys. late for that. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about an era without cell phones and yeah. digital cameras right. and right. iPads. I'm, I'm like you know, late thirties, forty-ish. Right, I'm, right. You go with the ish. Me too. Um, there's a lot of guys, including myself, that have this perpetual calf problem. 
Yeah. And like people call like a calf heart attack. Calf heart attack. Yeah. And uh, and like compartment syndrome of the calf, but it's the same thing every time where you're running and you're just jogging for like 15 or 20 minutes, and then in the belly of the calf, yep. it's like a spasm, and you have to immediately stop. It's Charlie Horse in your calf, and you can't run for two weeks. And I know a lot of guys, myself included, one of the guys called it the sniper. I was like, oh, you doing any running? He's like, no, I was running, and the sniper got me. Right. Um, what is that? Because when you Google it, literally an article from John Parker from Running Times in 1996 for calf heart attack. Talks like about the, the calf heart the attack. Well, again. Well, I'll defer to you guys because, you know, I'm very, very young. Right, so right, I have right. not it's, ever experienced so it this. So is, it is kind of a, a in our age range. Um, I, I have to say I'm out of this age range as well. <laughs> I, I have yeah, not yeah. experienced this. So uh, I've been fortunate to stay away from the calf heart attack. Generally, the calf heart attack is, is, I would say, unfortunately, the hardest injury to deal with because there's really no ways that you can actually uh, fix it. Uh, without taking time off, from my experience. The calf heart attack happens when people take time off of running, um, you know, and then try to get back into it, generally from yes. what, what my experience is. The only remedy is to never stop running, <laughs> honestly. It, it is. It is. It totally is the only remedy. You just have to be consistent, and I think I've stayed away from the calf heart attack. And I, like I said, Carnahan had a... I got to know the calf heart attack mostly when Carnahan had this awful case of it for probably, you know, six months. Uh, you know, we tried many different things. We changed the shoes. We put inserts in. Uh, we tried to run with uh, uh, compression sleeves. All those things, honestly, man, did not work. Massages. There was – we ran the gamut of possible solutions. It's it's probably I'd rather have you uh, tear an ACL than have the calf heart attack. So <laughs> I don't have any good news for you, my friend. Oh, that's <laughs> depressing. I if know. Any of your, if any of your listeners, who, yes. I'm telling you, that is gold. If someone has the solution, yes, to the calf heart attack, it's a million uh, dollar solution. It is. And it, and you do see it. It's relatively common. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I'm telling you, it's it it's 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 guys generally a little older than than us who are in our thirties to early forties, but or 23 or 23. Is it a, is it a problem that just affects men? (laughs) I actually have. That's a great question. I've never had a woman and I've dealt with three cases. They were all men. Um, were they all former runners as well? Yeah. So they were runners who, I, I have a hypothesis. I, this is untested because I'm just hearing about this for the first time, but do you think that maybe it's a result of former runners who have taken time off trying to just jump into their old paces and yeah yeah and and i'm sure you're not running your old pace chris but you're running faster than what generally a lot well that's uh, the frustrating thing about this injury is that when i've I've tried to come back and i've gone deliberately slowly right and 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 it's even i could be jogging nine or ten minutes a mile yeah it'll happen happen. Mm -hmm. so my hypothesis is disproven it's because you're it's because you're going too slow (laughs) no it's not that no it's not that uh, here's what I think I'm going to try. This is what I'm trying differently now. Okay. So I'm, gonna, I'm trying. I'm Help trying us out. Galloway walk jog. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to like walk for three minutes, jog for a minute, and I'm just going to try to be persistent in doing that for a while, and really take a long time before I'm running for long stretches at one time, and maybe that'll do the trick. Because it seems like the other part of the pattern with calf heart attack 
is, like you said, you don't run for, for a long period of time. Yeah. You start running again. And if you do it consecutive days in a row, and so you have some residual fatigue going into it, for whatever reason, that seems That's to, where it triggers. to be a to be a trigger. Yeah, no, but it, it, it is. is the worst, most maddening. It is, it is. Uh, and so, no shoes help. I mean, no, I yeah. I tell you, I tried with Carnahan everything, and and he's a uh, he's a really particular guy. But uh, we were we were able to try a, a number of different things, and uh, unfortunately, so again, sorry, Lear, no no good answers, but. I sympathize with your with your problem, but we'll have you back on the show when you solve the problem. Yes, <laughs> and, and if I solve this, yes. oh, that, that will be a big that will be a big that will be a huge interview. Mm-hmm. I want an appearance fee for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and if any of our listeners, as Lear said, uh, you could tweet us at Pace the Nation. He doesn't have a Twitter account, so I will relay the message. If you mm-hmm. know the solution for the calf heart attack, uh, please give us your thoughts. Uh, and tweet us at Pace the Nation. We'll let him know. We'll pass on the information. Um, well, dude, uh, I really, we really enjoyed, uh, having you on. Thank you for taking the time. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we held back from talking about a number of, of stories of, you know, us getting together, drinking, uh, at the bar or I don't know, times you visited the dorms or you and your wife visited the dorms. So maybe that will be for next show. There's, there's some, for the European version. Yeah, there's some good stuff. There's some good stuff there. All right, it's Chris Lear, author of Running with the Buffaloes, author of Sub Four, contributor to Meter uh, and Runner's World. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks, fellas. Have a good day. All right, take care. There goes Chris Lear, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on Pace the Nation. All right, guys. I really enjoyed that. Thanks again to Chris Lear for joining us. Were you now that we don't have him, and, and it's just us here, Joanna? Are you uh, encouraged or discouraged about being uh, your lifelong dream of being an author? Um, well, I think that I've always wanted to be a writer, but I've also always realized that it's really tough to just be a writer. Right. So Chris has just kind of confirmed what I already knew that it's really hard to just do that. That you need to have another way to make money yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I, in, in, in a perfect world, I think he should be John Grisham. I always go, I don't know why I always go to John Grisham. Yeah. Well, what's your, what's, how many authors do you have in that quiver? <laughs> James Patterson. <laughs> James Patterson or John Grisham. That's, uh-huh. I mean, he's, he should be able to make a living like those guys. But they I'm also, sure they're turning out books a lot faster than, mm-hmm. than Chris yeah, Lear is. That's true. Yeah. Like Stephen King, one time he wrote a book on, he got hospitalized. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book in the ambulance from his house to the hospital. <laughs> Did he really? No, that, and I actually stole that joke from somebody else. <laughs> All right, because he does turn them out fast. I don't know. And he Maybe has a house in Maine. He does, yeah. Yeah, and it's really cool. It's got like uh, spiders in the gates and stuff. Has Brother Russo been there? Um, yeah, he's shown it to me. Has yeah. he? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so not only has Brother Russo been there, Joanna Russo, sibling been Russo sibling has been, Russo. been there so too. So Michael and Joanna. But I will say about writing yeah. that. Um, Henry David Thoreau once said, like, how can I sit down to write when I haven't stood up to live? Mm-hmm. And I think that Chris Lear said it himself. He said that these were stories that needed to be told. Right. Um, no matter if he was getting money for it or not. And I think that's important with good writing is that a story just needs to be told and everything else doesn't I really agree. matter. I agree. I, I I did enjoy that interview. And, and maybe the better uh, comparison would have been at John Feinstein. 
who does more sports books that are uh, nonfiction, not the fiction, because uh, we were just naming all these fiction authors. But it was pretty cool that he, uh, Dick Patrick from USA Today, compared it to Season on the Brink, which is another book I've read. Wow, I actually read more than we're we're in Farley's canon right know. now. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> seriously. Uh, so I think it's so weird that you're like. Right now, like you name like three books and then you want everybody to be impressed. <laughs> that I've like, read I've read books. three books. Yes. It's like I read three books last week. Well, if you haven't read these books, Running with the Buffalo, Sub 4, uh, two highly recommended reads uh, from us on the show. And uh, like I said during the interview, I amend because I think we had talked about what our favorite books were. I think were. that you did. List did, running with the buffaloes. We'd have yeah, to go okay. back to the tape, but I okay. think that you did. Okay, because I, I there's did. no way to know. Yeah, there's no way to know. Yeah. Well, I I did I do like Once a Runner as well, and I thought maybe mm-hmm. I mentioned that or maybe I, that was my book. Okay, so that was yours. So I would say Running with the Buffaloes, uh, number one running seed book. Um, Joanna, where's Farley today? <laughs> Why? Well, because this, I can't see him. This I, academic I can guy? I hear him. No, I hear him in. Uh, Oh. In my headphones, I just don't see it. I'm wearing a camouflage shirt here. All right, it's this black camouflage Nike top. All right, I, I'm sure it's 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 not. Uh, I'd say you're more camouflage. You're wearing a green shirt, Docs. Yeah, but this is not. This shirt's not designed Listen, to, pal, to hide. Camouflage is in, right? Camouflage is in. Let's defer to Joanna. Joanna yeah. Shafarley wear a camouflage shirt. Yeah, I think it's fine. <laughs> okay, she'll, so she'll make. She has a, an opinion on that. Opinion on that, but uh, not on the beard, uh, as, as we talked earlier in the in the program about your beard. All right, of course you can tweet us at Pace the Nation, and if your tweet is deemed worthy by Joanna, she will read it on the program, which she's going to do right now. Okay, so um, Kevin King, um, he's got a couple of tweets I want to talk about. So the first one, he said, great movie, run free, that wasn't on my radar at all. Thanks, Pace the Nation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we do. Yes, we put things on your radar. Now go out and read Running with the Buffaloes and Sub 4, King. Um, and then the other question that Kevin King had for us, um, can I get a fact check on Superfan being on the envelope? Of course, he's referring to the envelope that he sent us asking for stickers to but be sent to him. You already sent that back to him. so I know, but I can confirm that it did say Superfan on it. Oh, I was going to tell him that he's going to have to fact check his own question yeah you could do that too it should be there soon well i i was doing this at the store and one of my staff asked me they said you have super fans (laughs) (laughs) Uh, why of course well she also asked me if we had a fan club and if there was a president no. Kevin King, have you started a fan club? Satya, have you started a fan yeah, club? Because those they can the, have competing fan clubs. Get on it, fellas. <laughs> that well, is definitely true. How many stickers did you send him? Um, I didn't count them. I okay. just put. I sent a lot, so okay. I don't know what he's going to do with all of them. Mm. Well, I meant to tell you that he had three kids, so to make sure that you sent at least three, so that each kid could get one. But good. sounds like he covered that. Yeah, those, mm-hmm. there's definitely. I mean, I'd say there's probably like ten or twelve in there. Good. Well, surprisingly enough, I wasn't littered with uh, the, the Clarendon store wasn't littered with uh, envelopes with uh, sasses in them yet. But yeah. it's er- yeah, exactly. So it's, early. it's 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 early. People, people just would... heard this on Monday. The post office is not as instant as text messaging. Mm-hmm. That's true. So I'll look for your sasses this week so you can get stickers yourself. Um, so Midpack Biped also said, Jatoris DC's Luigi is more legal on the U.S. Capitol lawn than Run Pacers Marathon Street. Now, Midpack just <laughs> loves to kill me. Midpack, I know I wasn't there for the happy hour that you were you were at. All right, was, so leave it at that. Okay. So you, you know right. why you're, you're getting killed. And I let a few slide here, Midpack. 
but but what's wrong with this one? I, I think take your battles. I think he's taking some shots. <laughs> but Joanna, you have an update on the U.S. lawn, right? I do have an update. Um, and so we, Luigi and I, did talk to four Capitol policemen who mm-hmm. all confirmed that Luigi is perfectly fine to be on the lawn. Well, so it's it's a hundred percent legal. Yeah. Okay, I was wrong. All right. Luigi was also really hamming it up. He was sitting, and so I, I said to one of the policemen, well, this is Luigi, and the moment that I said that, Luigi offered his paw. Really? Yeah, it was just coincidental. He's uh-huh. he's not that intuitive, but yeah. the policemen were very impressed. So were they, I, I, have, I have follow-up questions on this interaction. Mm-hmm. Were, were there four police officers together, or did you no, have they four were, separate conversations? No, I had two separate conversations. So Two and two? Two and two, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Any more questions? Mm, what did they say about Farley's uh, running streak? <laughs> no asterisk needed. Um, I actually didn't ask them about that, although I should have. I think you should have. That would make made a better story. <laughs> Again, like like I have to do things that would be good for the podcast. Right. Sometimes you should you, you have you to think to what would well. be good for the podcast. Right. I know I got to do that moving forward. Okay. Uh, I'll put that on my news resolutions. <laughs> Um, so For 2017? 2017. It's too late to get it in on, on in 2016. Two weeks in, too late. Yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a year to prep. Uh-huh. Um, so talking about New Year's resolutions, um, Simply Eve said, running resolution 2016, go to at least two track workouts a month with the 14th Street run on Thursdays. When is that? Thursdays. Yeah, thanks, Ace. <laughs> so every Thursday, um, the 14th Street Pacers location does six it o'clock, seven o'clock, seven o'clock. Yeah, they do a um, a track workout. I've done those track workouts. I know Sandwich. Where where do they meet out there? At the at the 14th Street Pacers. They meet at the Pacers yeah, and then go the to a track jog to Benjamin Banneker Park. Banneker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben Benjamin Button Park. <laughs> no Banneker. You Don't get muddy you the get younger as yeah. you do track workouts. Speaking of Benjamin Buttoning, um, yeah. my dad is listening to Pace the Nation in reverse order. How he does is. he find that? He says that we've gotten better over time. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> yeah, not for him, Mr. Docs. The, I, his last name's not Docs, but the <laughs> the, the direction that he's going with. With the uh, pace of the nation uh, is probably not the direction I'd recommend. the direction that we would like our no. listeners to listen. You, no. you listeners, you do what you want. <laughs> right. Uh, as but, long as you listen, I'm fine. But yeah. I'd prefer one through thirty-eight, mm-hmm. not thirty-eight down. <laughs> Although I, I guess, uh, even though this is thirty-seven, uh, I guess that uh, the the only good thing about that is that maybe if we have somebody that comes in on episode one, they might not want to keep going. True. And so mm. if you listen to one now, you might be like, like you, you, you might say, okay, well, they've gotten better. I'll continue listening. Yeah, that's true. That's the only, that's the only good thing. So, um, Not that I've thought about it at all. <laughs> at all. So going back to the tweets, we also have another New Year's resolution from Amanda who said, resolutions, race my first half marathon, saving to buy our first house, rest more. Okay. Those, Those are, are all good. good yeah. Um, oh, we have a new listener, Katie Hayes, and she said, finally heard AEH728, which is Annie Hughes, um, tweet on episode 24. Somehow she convinced me to listen from the beginning. Hashtag hooked. Hashtag first fan from Wisconsin. Question mark. Question mark. Um, I think she's asking, do we have any fans in, in Wisconsin? Chris Jaton. Well, he doesn't live in Wisconsin he's anymore. He's a local. Yeah. He's a, he's, he's a area DC guy. 
He is. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Well, I wonder if Chris, when he was on the program the couple times that he's been on, if mm-hmm. any of his family or friends from that area have uh Well, they might have listened. been listeners, but were they fans? Yeah. Katie is, is a it, fan. All right. All right. It's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. So I, I guess uh, we'll anoint her. First fan from Wisconsin. Yeah. Congratulations, Katie. Um, <clears throat> she must be thrilled. She must be thrilled. Yeah. Huge, huge honor. So um, my dad also was trying to ruin his friendship with Chris by tweeting, sorry to spoil your weekend, but the pack is back. And then he had yeah. some, some cheese emojis. Actually, yeah. he didn't, he di- he didn't uh, direct that too farly. No, oh. he didn't, but I saw it. <laughs> I know that you saw it, but he, he was saving, your, uh, saving that friendship by not gloating in front of you. I he guess he has more tack than I do. Yeah, yeah it was. It or, was or he misspelled run pacer. It was noticed. <laughs> It was notice, and I, uh, you know what, I uh, deleted it off my phone, but I didn't react. <laughs> you can delete an, an individual individual yeah, tweet, can. yeah, or you just block him from now on. No, you can mute them, but you can delete them mm-hmm. off the uh, the phone um, on my special iPhone six plus. Um, so Chris Webb, who is Alan Webb's brother who was the subject of sub four who chris lear talked about in our interview today so a lot of connection with this tweet um chris webb said running book recommendation if you haven't already read racing in the rain which is the prequel to once a runner did it come out before or was it was it written after it as was a written prequel? after mm-hmm. is it i haven't read it is it about the olympian it's um it's about quentin cassie as a child oh, okay yeah no i haven't read that or as, as younger thanks for the, the recommendation so once a runner takes place when he's in college, in college yeah. again, Carthage takes place after college, and then this takes place before college. Oh, Chris Webb also said, the Olympic trials is always awesome live. Don't forget the indoor world champs in Portland in March. I'll be there. Will you? No. Yeah, that's not actually on my list. No. Um, but enjoy it. Have yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, it'll give us updates. Which Portland, anyway? Uh, Portland, Oregon. Sometimes people will, will like fly to Portland, Maine, and and then like be confused because they're not Does in Portland, happen? Oregon. Yeah, hmm. and then sometimes people fly to Charlestown, West Virginia, instead of Charleston, West, South Carolina. South Carolina. Those that happens like as well. Those seem like big mistakes. Yeah, yeah, but but think about the kind of people that are going to those places. Yeah, you're hmm. um, not dealing with the the brightest Edison bulbs <laughs> in the uh, bunch. That's for sure. Wow. So now we've just insulted people who travel to Oregon, <laughs> Maine, yeah. West Virginia, South Carolina. I'm still yeah. upset about the pack comment. So I'm I'm not in a good place. Um. All right. So I think that just about rounds up the tweets for this week. Next week, if you tweet us in at Pace the Nation, uh, we're gonna select. We're gonna start selecting again the best tweet of the week. So they've got to be good. So bring it next week. Uh, you'll get a f- free entry into either race of your choice, the first down 5K, which is on Super Bowl Sunday, or the love the run you're with. So bring it, and we will get you a free entry if uh, Joanna selects your tweet as the best tweet of the week. Am I eligible? Uh, podcast hosts are not eligible. All right, this week in the news, every week we read the best stories running related in the news. 
This week, GOP debate moderator Sandra Smith says she's preparing to run every single day of 2016. What's her minimum run? You know, in the story, it doesn't say minimum run, but uh, I think it's probably a mile. Does that qualify as every single day for you? For me? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to be judgy. I like that people get out. You know, they right. they can do whatever they want. But I just think that if you're going to do a streak like that, you have to have a minimum qualifier. I agree. Well, she says, my goal is to run every single day. Every morning I wake up, I say I want to run today. Some weeks I run seven days. Some we- re- weeks I run zero, uh, Smith told Runner's World by phone on Tuesday. Uh, she ran at LSU, and so she is a you know former... Uh, collegiate runner so she probably maybe it is three miles but it doesn't say in the story uh exactly what the what the minimum distance is let's let why don't you tweet her and ask her i will i will ask her i'll, I'll tell her that w- she's made our show and uh-huh. even though she's doing the moderation for big gop debates mm-hmm. and if i knew what gop debates were i could tell mm-hmm. you exactly <laughs> who do you know what gop stands for Government, yes, official. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually come I on actually, the p the p is the easiest part. <laughs> Politics, yes, you got it. That's <laughs> amazing. I actually don't know what it stands for. It stands for Grand Old Party. Grand Old Party. Okay, so who is she moderating for? Your uh, your party, uh, the Republicans, the GOP, or the Republicans? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so she'll be up there with like Trump and. Um, and who else? <laughs> this is this is a big debate the yeah. the debate this weekend for uh, the Republicans. Uh, she'll be up there with Trump and okay, know. Siri just got busted out. <laughs> Siri uh, just got busted out. I I could probably name a couple others. Uh, you probably could, but we don't have time for that. Yeah, it's yeah. It, the only reason you're not answering is because is it's time restraints, right? Time restraints. Well, I know Chris Christie is a potential. Republican. Yeah, but... Oh, he's a potential Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Candidate. Uh, I know uh, Mark uh, Warner. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Not Mark Warner. Uh, the uh, governor of... The former governor of Maryland. Mark O'Malley? Mark O'Malley. And is he's a Democrat? No, he's a Republican, right? No, he, he's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. He is I'm just going to let this debate go on. Yeah. We don't yeah. even need a moderator right. here. Right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the the bottom line is Sandra Smith's going to run every single day this year. Right. Or try to. The important, was, the important uh, thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, also, we, we uh, mentioned this story last week. And I think we broke that news, right? We, we what, did, yeah. Broke mm-hmm. the news about the jogging jewel thief? Mm-hmm. Well, we mentioned it last week or broke it either way. Uh, she was... Actually captured by the FBI uh, in this, the Caribbean. This last couple weeks, actually not in Caribbean. She didn't make it. I know. She well, uh, was arrested in Georgia. She probably had the wrong city mm-hmm. that she was trying to fly. Yes. To. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was trying to go to Atlantis, right? And then she ended up in Atlanta, in Atlanta Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, Abigail Lee Kemp, twenty-four, and another suspect were taken into custody. In uh, Georgia, federal authorities announced Saturday. So that was Saturday. We broadcasted uh, on Saturday mm-hmm. after they after the FBI heard our podcast. I think <laughs> they they, they they found her. Her story is amazing. Yeah. Well, the FBI uh, sent out this press release, and apparently they were requesting help, and apparently they got a 
ton of credible leads from the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman's mother, uh, this is from Inside Edition, was the band re- reached out to, and she said, uh, "No comment. Don't call this number again." And she hung up the phone. <laughs> Wow. I'm glad you added that. Yeah. That's good stuff. So the young woman is suspected of robbing jewelers in five states since April 29th, and the halls have netted more than $4 million, authorities. You know, I've said this before. We we don't want this podcast to be a, a how-to uh, in, right. in crime, um, but she's, she's, she's obviously really stupid. Like, she, she didn't have a mask. Like, if, she, if you're going to go in that brazen... You have to have an escape plan. That's why I was so confident that she was out of the country already. I was like, well, if she's if she's going in and, and, and staring at these cameras without a mask on, obviously she she knows she's going to get caught if she doesn't leave the country. I mean, she must have known there's cameras all over those places, I would imagine. Yeah. The other disappointing thing is she wasn't actually running. She, it wasn't like she just stopped on her, right, on, on, her, her on her long run and was like right. – <sighs> yeah. I can either I can either run three more miles or I'll take a break and and rob a jewelry store. <laughs> right. uh, you know, like she she was Commit just an armed robbery. That was I I think that was just her way of of uh, disarming the the employees. Right. Because she had a getaway car, mm-hmm. and all she did with her getaway car, even though she had four million dollars of jewels, she had like this old beat up car, and then she got it repainted. Wow. Well, yeah, I I don't. It just seems it did, I, like it reading the sense. story. It's like she it just seems like a re- like. Of course, she got caught. She's a bad criminal. Well, she comes in dressed in jo- and and I apologize profusely to Joanna, uh, right. <laughs> who you were insinuating that you could have been the thief last week. I did. You never really came out and said it. Well, I did call the FBI and and <laughs> but they told me they they were like it's a false lead, so I didn't get a reward. <laughs> well, the thief comes came in dressed in jogging clothes. She made no apparent attempt to hide her face. And wore gloves as she dumped piles of watches and jewelry into her bag. So, like, to your point, Docs, no attempt to hide and, her face. And her friends were saying, like, like some of the jewels that she, that she was stealing, some of the jewelry that she was stealing, she, she was wearing it. Right. So people are like, well, that looks exactly like my friend who now has a $13,000 diamond <laughs> watch. Uh, watch. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't do a great job of... of uh, uh, she's just a bad criminal. That four million dollars, uh, you know. It's disappointing that she yeah. was a, that she's a bad criminal. I, I almost feel like this show is rooting for her, and she's committing armed robbery. We're not. <laughs> I don't think we're we're rooting for her. Um, if the FBI, I would like to go on record to yeah, say that I am not rooting, not rooting for, for her. If the FBI is listening and used our show as a lead, we are not rooting for her. I was rooting for her when I thought it was Joanna. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, this podcast, of course, is sponsored by Pacers Running. Pacers running with five area DC locations. Pacers running is for every run. Uh, also, Pacers running has a uh, store in Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, we've got some big news out of Princeton, New Jersey. We are uh, going to take over the New Jersey uh, marathon, marathon and half marathon. Joanna, that's so, very exciting. Very exciting news. Uh, so, some moving and shaking in New Jersey. So, if you guys want to run the marathon or half marathon in New Jersey on May first, Pacers is now in charge of uh, that event as we continue to uh, increase our presence in uh, Joanna's home state. I had an interesting conversation with uh, Jen Maranzano that I wanted to mention to you guys. Okay, um, she was at the Fairfax Four Miler. Uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, and she said she's become a huge fan of the show. Mm-hmm. She loves uh, y- you guys, and obviously, um, I think she she uh, 
when she heard my voice, she was like, I have a real problem because I feel like every time I wake up, I think I'm hearing you talk. I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. Um, because I guess she goes to bed listening to the show mm-hmm. and then wakes up. And she sleeps in the same room as you and Julie. <laughs> <laughs> no. The she, foot of the bed. No, no, oh, no. For the record, okay. no. Okay. Uh, but that was kind of a, a funny comment. But uh, Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, we'll have to have you on. And, uh, you know, I'd love to have some, some fans on uh, of our show. Uh, we, sh- we should do that in an upcoming episode. I uh, really enjoy hearing from... Uh, some of, some of the, the the feedback that we've heard at races. I know Joanna, you're recognized. Docs doesn't go out of his his house other than right. to the studio. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, if if you want to, uh, I make that long trek to the studio. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to, maybe you know, get on for a five minute segment. Maybe we can get Jen on for a five minute segment. Uh, maybe we can have a series of listeners on in a future I, future program. I agree. I, I would love a show where people just compliment us nonstop. Yes, right. I think we can if if they're going to do that, we can give them more than five minutes. Right. Depends on how yeah how complimentary you are <laughs> and how good the snacks are. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, how's the how's the you're you're bringing uh, good snacks for Joanna well, and I? You know, on. I think that was Annie's uh, uh, suggestion re- resolution for me. It wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. mine. Well, so, the, we voted. Oh, that's right. You yeah, this is it. a democratic show. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's this is this is this is a democratic show, not a GOP show. Right. <laughs> well, I, it's not going well so far. It's not not so far, but uh, mm-hmm. it's still early. Mm-hmm. Plenty so of time to maybe, to maybe make week. up for that. Maybe next week. When you mention the uh, New Jersey marathon and half marathon, uh, sometimes I talk about like a marathon at work, and then people will say, "Well, how many miles is that?" How, how many that. miles is that I love one? That. How many miles and then I'll be like, marathon? oh, well, it's, it's 26.2. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I, I ran a marathon last week. It was five miles. Right. <laughs> I, I love those comments. Yeah. How long was that marathon? 26.2. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I ran one that was five miles. Oh, you just said that, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That does. That Did you hear that recently? You yeah, heard yeah, something like, like that, that happened recently. to me recently, too. <laughs> or usually it's 5K to me. If 5K. Uh, is it, 5K are you doing marathon? a 5K marathon? Well, you know what, Docs? Actually, I agree with that person. Mm-hmm. I agree with that person. I ran this 5K marathon mm-hmm. uh, last week under three hours. So I'm going to count that for 2016. <laughs> Is that good? Um, yeah. it, can we give out double asterisks? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm planning on the Boston Marathon. Boston Marathon uh, this year. As I'm doing Boston and, and, and Marine Corps. What are you doing this year, Joanna? Yeah, what are you doing with your year? Yeah, what, what marathon? <laughs> Um, well, I thought we were all doing Marine Corps. Oh, that's right. Marine Corps. Docs as well. As yeah. a show, we're doing Marine Corps. Yeah. All right. But I'm not running under three hours. No. But you're going to run under 320. Uh, yes. I don't, I don't know about that. I, I like it. She put herself out there under 320. PMA. PMA. Okay. Positive mental attitude. All that's right. right. Yeah, Farley, just like one real quick thing. What did you think of the State of the Union address? Yeah, I missed that, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. What did you guys think? I mean, it was the State of the Union. Right. Well, you should never talk politics. You shouldn't. No. So I, I definitely didn't watch it. I, didn't, I had no real. Uh, well, it's just. I mean, or, he's so Obama is is done basically. So yeah, the State of the Union was uh, sort of a tour of his greatest hits, um, mm. the legacy that he feels is his, um, and that also must have been a short State of the Union. 
Come on now. Come on now. (laughs) Um, And also setting the stage for what he hopes Democrats uh, moving forward will continue doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's your synopsis. I've said too much. Thank you. Finally, one of of my favorite um, things from the the, uh, State of the Union was talking about um, reforming politics Mm -hmm. and uh, getting away from um, political gerrymandering. And I know you and I have had yeah. extensive discussions about, <laughs> about gerrymandering <laughs> in the about, right. about gerrymandering uh, mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah. Uh, so when they when they were talking about that, I thought that you'd be really excited. Yeah, that guy Jerry is. <laughs> I'm a big fan of his. Oh, you like gerrymandering? Gerrymandering. Jerry, mm-hmm. Yeah, Mr. Mandering, I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. It. Not related to Tony Mandarich. No, 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 no. Or uh, he's not related to any sort of. Uh, Mandarich oranges either. Mm-hmm. So n- neither of those. Mandarines? Mandarines. Not, no <laughs> mandarins either. Is this really going to make the show? This is the miscellaneous yeah, section. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I. This is all I can bring to the table. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> that was such a ringing endorsement. It's <laughs> not bad. All right, guys. Really appreciate uh, author Chris Lear joining us, author of Running with the Buffaloes and Sub 4. Uh, you can't find him on Twitter. He's kind of like Docs in that sense. Well, you actually are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. You're just not a prolific tweeter. Uh, but uh, if you want to get in touch with Lear, I don't know, tweet us. I'll put you in touch. But do go out and buy his book. Really How's he going to promote our show if he's not on Twitter? <laughs> Good question. What a, what a terrible guest. <laughs> All right, that's Docs, not me. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Kelly Grant, the intern. As always, look forward to seeing everybody January 28th at the happy hour that location to be announced. All right, for Joanna E. Russo and William E. Docs, I'm Chris Farley. This has been Pace the Nation. We'll see you next week. <laughs>